0: hey there everybody and welcome to the cinema drip podcast the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee as always i am scott lentz here with my good friend and co-host christian Ubius, and christian we are kicking off our very first blend of the year here in 2021 how you feel
1: honestly don't know (laughs) um because it is a strange time to be in movies it's it's like I, I was looking at the movies that i'm looking forward to this year and uh, there's a good chance some of the ones bumped from 2020 to 2021 and might get bumped from 2021 to 2022 so it yeah, I, I feel a, weird
0: <laughs> a dark time for those of us who love movies as things continually get kicked on the road i was looking at 2021, an American film over on Wikipedia, bringing back an old habit of high school, Scott. Just trying to see what was coming out in, on Wikipedia already. And I was getting so sad looking at some of these movies that I don't want to get delayed anymore. Things like No Time to Die. with James Bond guy. I, I gotta see Daniel Craig's last Bond movie. And if I have to wait any longer, I might just cry.
1: I have seen, I think, one James Bond, one and a half. I've seen one and a half Daniel Craig James Bond movies.
0: Well, it sounds like We have a movie marathon for when we are allowed to see each other in person once again.
1: You know what? I would be down. I would be down to, but I want to do the Sean Connery ones.
0: I would also be down for that. But alas, we are not here to talk James Bond. Though we are here to talk the past. And a James Bond movie came out. Yes, a James Bond movie did come out in 1973. That would be *Live and Let Die*. But we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk more broadly about 1973 as you have selected for our first blend of the month but more specifically we get to talk about one of the most iconic and dare I say most influential movies not just of 1973 but of all time Robert Klaus's and really Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon.
1: Okay this is this is interesting uh we're gonna we're gonna go for a slightly different format normally we start with an opening question for all of you who have been listening to us before but today we're gonna kind of look at 1973 in film in general before zoning in on enter the dragon just a quick question scott do you have any relation to 1973 as in is there any movie from there that you've seen before that you loved or one that was influential in your life or one that your family members love anything like that
0: i was looking at the year 1973 on letterboxd and i'm kind of embarrassed to say I've only seen two movies from this year. It's sort of true for a lot of these years for me. And the two movies that I've seen are number one, Mean Streets, which I watched in college for one of my classes. And uh, (laughs) a movie that I saw as a young boy, Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood that came out in 1973, a movie I haven't seen I'm 25 years old, and I probably haven't seen it in 20 years, so it's been a long time since I got to check in with the year 1973, save Is that the mean one where Streets. the guy's the fox? Uh, yes, Robin Hood is a fox. I love that movie. I Insta remember
1: version. loving it. I'm like, you go, fox. Although this was also during my Sly Cooper phase, so I really liked animals that like stole things.
0: We love Sly Cooper. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Sly Cooper fan. If only we had a video game podcast where we could wax poetic about Sly Cooper. Christian, Bro, we don't do you have, have time any to watch relationship movies. To this you year? Do you think we have
1: time to play video games? I wish we did. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about the year 1973. Now, we like talking about the Oscars on this podcast, but the box office is sometimes more representative of stuff. Uh, in fact, in general, it's probably the most representative thing in in the years before franchises were everything. So I'm just going to read one through five. Uh, the number one highest grossing film of 1973, and this is just the North American box office, it is The Exorcist. Number two is The Sting. Number three is American Graffiti. Number four, Papillon. And number five is The Way We Were. That is an eclectic group of films. They're, they're not like one after the other. It's not like now where if two or three Marvel movies come out in a year, the, those three are the top three. No, it's, I mean, The Exorcist, probably the number one movie of 1973 in general that people will recognize. It is a a horror film uh, that was supposed to er, and did revolutionize the genre and and gave horror kind of a status, no other horror movie until probably Silence of the Lambs has given it in in, in critical recognition and uh, being iconic from the moment it came out. Uh, we have the Sting, which is I, I want it's like a poker mob movie, I think, starring Paul Newman, and, who is considered one of the greatest actors of all time. Uh, American Graffiti, which is George Lucas's sophomore directorial effort, and uh, without this film, Star Wars wouldn't have been made because this is kind of what gave him the clout to do Star Wars we have I I honestly don't know nothing about Papillon except that it's a prison movie and we the the way we were which is a what is it like a rom-com? No, not a rom-com. I think it's just a romance kind of a just thing. Just a rom. Just a rom. Sydney
0: Pollack. It's got Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford. I've never heard of it, but now I want to see it.
1: <laughs> you you're still riding that high from when Harry met Sally. Oh, you know it. So and, and I brought this up to you right before the show. 1973 seems to be kind of a transitionary year in film and I think it's kind of interesting and I'm glad that we're I- introducing this segment to the beginning of our shows now where we talk more generally because we're in a trend we're kind of in a transitionary period of film right now 2020 is not coming down and I don't think will come down as the year that the most iconic films of all time were made the movies that came out in 2020 were fantastic and phenomenal but 19 19- Uh, 2019 had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, had Avengers Endgame, had the end of the Skywalker Saga. Please let it be the end of the Skywalker Saga. It had all of these... uh Parasite... It had memorable moments that hit society. And now we're kind of in a moment where the films of 2020 come right after that. And probably right before we get hit with more iconic moments. Again, this is not at all talking about their quality, but kind of the stasis they're going to be making, and I'm seeing very much a parallel to that in 1973. I mean, without American Graffiti, we don't have Star Wars. Without The Sting, Paul Newman's career is vastly different from the way that we remember it now. We have the end of the um, first Planet of the Apes sequence. I think it, it Battle for the Planet of the Apes... I'm pretty sure it came out this year. And so it was the end of that sci-fi craze-ish, but the one that influenced other sci-fi crazes because we have Michael Crichton's Westworld, his directed movie that came out this year, which I want to say is very much a precursor to his ability to work in genre the way he did with Jurassic Park. So these are just things I'm throwing out there. What are your thoughts looking at movies that are coming out out that presented 1973 I mean even Mean Streets it's the first time that Robert De Niro worked with Martin Scorsese and now we can't really think of another duo uh, that Martin Scorsese would work with or that Robert De Niro would work with except maybe Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio
0: just looking at the year from a glance honestly as much as I wish I had more time to research before this show and I can bring more next week just looking at it you know kind of like you're saying. There aren't a ton of movies that the common film goer, the average movie fan, might recognize, but there's a lot of movies that cinephiles and movie nerds might be drawn to. It goes deeper than you know, The Exorcist. It goes deeper than American Graffiti and Robin Hood. You also have Badlands, which is Terrence Malick. Malick's. Is that his debut? It. I. I'm checking it right now. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> done this before? I know. I already said that. But it's pretty sure that's his debut.
1: More, but after this movie, I think he took a break for thirty years, not thirty. 20. Yeah, he he's
0: had a weird career. But Terrence Malick making Badlands. You have Don't Look Now a movie made by Nicholas Rogue. And uh, I'm sorry to my mother if she listens to this, but has one of the most iconic sex scenes of all time (laughs) with Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. That's sort of what it's known for in film circles. I still haven't seen it, so I cannot report. But Robert Altman made The Long Goodbye. Federico Fellini had a movie come out this year with Amar Gord in international cinema. Some big international movies, from what I can tell. Also things like coffee the Pam Greer exploitation movie coming out this year so sort of like you said it's not a year with a ton of instantly recognizable movies but a lot of important movies and a lot of major filmmakers putting out work from what we can see now maybe not movies that again somebody who just goes to the theaters to catch up with Marvel and DC and Fast and Furious may not recognize but so really notable ones orson welles also the one i should mention had f for fake come out this year which, which is, is
1: like revolutionary in terms of documentary filmmaking
0: and yeah in terms of cinephile circles like i mentioned one of these lofty held up you have to see this kinds of movies but one that people who don't really care about orson welles beyond citizen kane might give an extra thought to
1: but, but even then though f for fake influenced other documentary films and that's kind of the point of 1973 and that's kind of the point of I think the year 2020, I want to say that people will look back at Sound of Metal and people will look back at the Small Axe Anthology and at Minari and take those as cornerstones, as viewpoints, as compasses to what's going to come afterward. The same way that um, I mean, just from a purely franchise model, people look back at the people thought that the Planet of the Apes thing should be remade. Now, the decision of whether or not it should have been remade, I will not go into. <laughs> but there there's these this is I think an important year. I mean this is also the year that Bruce Lee died. Enter the Dragon came out after Bruce Lee died, and yet I think it could be argued almost that his death spurred on the popularity and view of this movie. This is a man who absolutely cu- cut in his prime. He died at 32, and yet he was an actor in over 40, over 50 movies.
0: Many of which released after his death.
1: Many of which, yeah released after i I mean i think robert klaus directed another movie starring him that released in 1978 so it's 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 weird it it, it's just like what is going on in in this year (laughs) but you have a but i also we want to go against what you said about people who only go to the movies to catch up on the Marvel franchises. This wasn't a franchise thing, so people went to the films for other things to catch up on. The Exorcist, I think, is a prime example of people going to the movies and saying, Guess what? We like horror. We like this kind of creepy and scary thing. Without The Exorcist, we wouldn't have... I mean, if in, in 50 years, if only two genres of movies remain, it's going to be comic book movies and it's going to be horror films. That That is that, that that's what's going to happen. So those, I'm just throwing out a lot of that there. I love that take. That's probably
0: true because you can always make a horror movie for 15 bucks and make a million off it. And comic book movies are, who knows when they're going to run out of steam and stop being popular. It's not going to be anytime soon. But speaking of movies that made a lot of money. The Exorcist, can you imagine a horror movie being the number one movie both at the U.S. box office and the worldwide box office at all these days? But Enter the Dragon is the second most popular movie in the world. It is a. It was a phenomenal success considering it was made for less than a million dollars at the time. And worldwide, it made over $350 million. It's one of the just sheer percentage return, you know, highest Not grossing ever, but in terms of the return, one of the biggest returns of any movie of this note, especially ever. It's a gigantic smash success, launches Bruce Lee to international stardom, and like you said, unfortunately, he doesn't live to see any of it. And it's this hugely influential movie, not just in the Kung Fu and not just in Bruce Lee, but also in marketing in the other genres that it's referencing in terms of other people whose careers were impacted by this movie.
1: Let's hold off a second on our thoughts on enter the dragon, just so that I can mention one more thing about 1973. And, and this is just on a kind of brief glimpse at the movies that topped the box office. And this is just in North America. We have a prison movie. We have a bond film, we have a porn movie. We have a romance film. A drama. Uh, a poker movie. Uh, no, no, no. It's not even... It's like a poker...
0: Grifters. It's not poker. They're they're trying to con a mob boss.
1: A con film. Fine. A con film. A gambling film. A con mob thing. And a horror flick. This is... This seems about right. I don't think these sensibilities have gone away since then. I think that... The taste of people now are the same as the taste then, except that, believe it or not, 1973 seems to make more room. It seems to have more space for these action-packed, weird, creepy, crowd-pleasing things than we have today.
0: This is a very 70s year in terms of the box office, not only because there's a porno in the top 10 in terms of box office, but because you have family dramas like Paper Moon, you have a James Bond movie, there's a franchise, you have the Dirty Harry sequel, Magnum Force, another franchise effort, but you also have a movie like American Graffiti, this coming-of-age teen comedy something like *The sting a big movie star movie a horror movie the exorcist it's like you said it's a very eclectic mix of movies you have some major filmmakers some important just film characters like bond and dirty harry and the 80s i mean the blockbusters as a as a mode of filmmaking you can argue when it starts jaws in 1975 is widely considered the first quote-unquote blockbuster but so filmmaking and box office numbers and popular filmmaking change so drastically as this decade goes on and the 80s are just entirely different and it's more reflective of now in terms of franchises and popular characters steven spielberg kind of movies and so 1973 is very emblematic of the 70s and it's it's fun to start learning more about this year and and checking it out i'm excited for our our future discussions here
1: Okay, let's go into some fun facts about Enter the Dragon now.
0: Yes, I love a good fun fact, and I'm excited to talk more about Enter the Dragon because it is chock full of fun facts. So, if for some reason you're listening to this episode and you have not yet watched Enter the Dragon, let's give a little backstory here. Like we said, coming out in 1973, directed by Robert Klaus, maybe Kloos, I... Don't know uh, what the best way is to pronounce it, but stars Bruce Lee, as well as John Saxon and Jim Kelly, two guys whose careers were definitely benefited by this movie. And it features the three of them going to Hong Kong for a martial arts tournament for different reasons. Um, Bruce Lee's character in particular is going as an agent of, I think, the British government. It's never specified, but they ask him to go because they think that the man putting on the tournament is running a drug ring and they want to stop it. So in terms of fun facts, one of the coolest things that I thought right away is that it features a diverse group of heroes. You have an Asian man, a white man, and a black man all blending these different styles of movies. It sounds in like you movie. were
1: about to say walk into a bar. It's, it's
0: that I have that in my notes for this movie. It's literally James Bond stand in exploitation character and Bruce Lee walk into a bar. That's sort of the plot of this movie. Yeah. And that you have Bruce Lee, the martial arts movie guy, you have John Saxon playing Roper, who's sort of this classic American blockbuster hero. And you have Jim Kelly as Williams, who is essentially playing a, a riff on a black exploitation character. It's a genre that's popular and getting popular at the time and you have these different
1: movie genres intersecting with one another. It's three it's the three different ends of action movies. You've got the white boy hero, like the Clint Eastwood type. Again, yeah, you've got Bruce Lee and you've got the black character who was normally shown honestly these films became very popular with black audiences. So it's it's interesting and it's cool that they brought them all together. Uh, let's let's go a little bit into into the box office. This movie cost less than one million dollars. This movie cost eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It made three hundred and fifty million dollars. What that's is absurd. going on? What is going it's on? That's so much money. Oh my goodness, that's that. Uh, okay, okay.
0: I guess we should say some of that money is coming in over time. So when it's re-released in cinemas, it brings in a little more money, but still a gigantic smash hit. Um, it it grows at least a hundred million on its initial release. Just a, a monster, monster hit.
1: I think adjusted for inflation, it's about a billion. I, w- I want to say, okay. Um, also interesting. And, and this was true of a lot of, kung fu flicks that i've seen it has no bullets it had there are no guns here whatsoever and there's very minimal blood and the only blood you really see are like scars on someone's torso or scars on someone's face
0: the the end fight results in bruce lee's character getting slashed a few times and forming these almost iconic now scars on his his body and face
1: he got wolverine
0: Yes, it's very striking, because like you said, there is very little blood, and there are no guns in this movie. Everyone is fighting with hands and fists, so it's very cool.
1: Yeah, there. It, it's it's also very notable in it being the, fir- the first, not the last, Bruce Lee film released after his death. It, it also inspired, I don't know if you've ever played Street Fighter, but the Street Fighter moves that the characters have in their poses were taken from the stances that these characters made. Also, Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball series, and Goku's transformation, and like the Super Saiyan things were taken from Bruce Lee's stance and his glare and his screams.
0: Yeah, we've alluded to the fact that this is a hugely influential movie, but it's kind of absurd when you consider just how much of an impact Enter the Dragon made. There are so, so many movies and TV shows and video games and (laughs) comic books, things that owe a debt to this movie. And the two things that you've mentioned are just scratching the surface. Are you ready to talk about the movie? Oh, oh, I think I am, Christian. I think I am.
1: All right. So your opening question today, Scott, is very, very simple. Considered to be one of the most iconic and influential movies of all time, having seen it now almost 50 years after it premiered, does Enter the Dragon deserve that? Does it deserve its heavyweight standing as an influencer of everything from manga, anime, to Quentin Tarantino?
0: I am no expert on kung fu or martial arts movies as much as I should be but enter the dragon totally totally deserves the acclaim that it has received and the stature that it takes up in the movie nerd community watching this for the first time only made me wish I had discovered it earlier in my life and that I was not coming to it for the first time but rather that I was watching it for the third or the fourth or the fifth time I was so entertained by into enter the dragon and Thought it was not only an entertaining movie, but its entertainment coming at the expense of its filmmaking, you know, cheap effects and bad acting, but it's really fun and that's why you like it and that's why it lasts. Now, I think it is actually a very well done movie and one that is worthy of its praise as a piece of entertainment, but also as something that influenced other movies and everything we said for decades since totally worthy of all of the praise that is received and i loved watching it i'm looking forward to talking more about it with you it was okay <laughs> oh my gosh hot take
1: christian here he is again it's it, it was it, i i don't dislike it i am 100 50 50 on this i i i think i saw it so you're 50% on this? I I saw it while drinking a beer, which I think is the way that you should watch this movie. It is, I think that it had tons of iconic lines that stood by themselves and didn't go into a larger narrative. I think that this was more a movie about poses and um, the way that Bruce Lee looks and uh, uh, interesting nighttime. how many sex workers do you choose when you're presented with them, then it actually is a strong narrative. You guys can't see my face right now,
0: but as Christian mentions,
1: the sex worker scene, big yikes, big yikes on my face right now. We'll get to that. It's pretty cringy. It's extremely cringy. I think it is entertaining, but I don't think it's a strong story. I don't really think it's a strong movie. I just think the director... And very much the director. This was the the dialogue was 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 not the best. I I think it was the director knowing, uh, you know, I think the people will like to would like to get a shot of Bruce Lee. But this is also a movie that loves Bruce Lee. I, I I was watching it with a friend, and he was like, I wish that they moved the camera back so that I could see all the people fighting. It seems more like we're only interested in what Bruce Lee does and don't see the attack we just see his response which is so accurate but it's a it's a bruce lee centric film which there's nothing wrong with it's just like he doesn't really have a developed character he's just a good presence he's not even i would say a strong actor necessarily as he knows how to captivate a camera
0: that is often what good acting is? Well, I mean, <laughs> if we broaden our definition of what good
1: acting is, no, I mean, look at Bruce Godot, Lee, you would Look cast... at Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, Gal Gadot, I love. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I love. Bruce Lee, I love. But it, maybe it's just that they're not given the material, that people are more interested in looking at them.
0: Which, in and of itself, is a major, major part of being a movie star. And often, movie stars aren't necessarily good actors and even when they are i was listening to a podcast recently about the movie moneyball and the guys hosting the podcast mentioned they talked about brad pitt's career and they mentioned that brad pitt has been in a bunch of different movies a bunch of different style movies and sometimes he is putting on a wacky performance something like burn after reading with the i love
1: worms. burn after reading love but burn often after reading.
0: he can sort of turn off his Quote unquote acting skills and just turn on the Brad Pitt meter to a thousand. And that, those are some of his best performances because Brad Pitt is one of the most compulsively watchable movie stars we've ever had. And that's maybe my, he's someone you my want to hang out opinion. With. Exactly. And so when you get to sort of the Bruce Lee, Gal Gadot, Schwarzenegger side of things where they're watchable sort of for different reasons. Schwarzenegger, because he's. He's a A statue of a man. (laughs) He's the Terminator. Uh, Bruce Lee, because he is, in a way, a different kind of statue. I think he had 0% body fat just looking at his body. He, or I guess I should say, I wasn't coming to Enter the Dragon hoping to see an Oscar-worthy performance. But I was coming hoping to see exactly what we got, which is not just Bruce Lee punching and kicking dudes, but... A master of a martial art, a master of a form, dominating other people and proving why he was praised and considered as such without the help of CGI to give him a cool suit of armor or something cheesy like that. Watching a Bruce Lee movie is about enjoying his skill just in martial arts as much as it is about the rest of the movie. And I'm sure there are Bruce Lee movies out there that suck and I haven't seen them.
1: This is not one of them. We're going to I'm um, we're going to get into probably the same debate we've got in, on on this podcast before. That that being said, uh, Oscar-worthy performance he probably is giving. You know why? Cuz to win an Oscar, you scream. He's screaming a lot. He's screaming a ton. What a reductive point to make. To win
0: an Oscar, you have to put on lots of makeup and play a real person. Come on, Christian. We all know this. Oh, I'm
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right.
0: But even to your actual point where he's screaming a lot, part of Bruce Lee's- That wasn't my
1: actual point.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay, good. But yeah, part of his mystique is that he makes these sounds. And one of the points of influence that I noticed while watching this is, how come when I was a little kid- freaking little white boy growing up in Northeast Ohio I knew to say hi when I was karate chopping someone it's because of Bruce Lee because in Bruce Lee movies he's making these these sounds these vocalizations that are a part of his dominance over his opponents where he is literally acting like a, a predator almost in the wild. He is using his voice as a part of his approach into but defeating his foes. It, it's
1: it's not even that, though. It's like the best aspects of this film, and the reason that people like it that much is because we want to see this choreography. We want to see this fight choreography that Bruce Lee helped make. I think, I think he made it all. Which he gets is... a
0: credit, fight sequences staged by Bruce, Bruce Lee, Lee in the fight.
1: opening credits. And it's it it's fantastic to look at. Which is the thing though, I didn't need a story. And so every aspect of this weird spy thing about how one of his relatives was killed in one of the weirdest flashback sequences I've ever seen is not appealing to me. Or in depth to me. This is a movie that I can kick back with a beer to, but also a film which you can isolate any single part of and I can jump in with my beer to any part of this film and be all right. I haven't really missed anything and sometimes that's amazing. I, when it leads to a greater to a greater film where the sum of its parts are greater than the whole. This is not one of those movies. This is a movie where it's a bunch of parts And I think that these action sequences are fantastic. I think the kung fu on display is fantastic. I think that the fact that um, this went against the idea that an Asian male could not head an action film or could not stand by himself and had to be portrayed as either annoying or a stereotyped caricature or an emasculated small individual is fantastic because Bruce Lee proved all of those people wrong. The, the the sequence where... um White guy's name, white guy's name, white guy's name. Roper? Yes, Roper. Where Roper declines to go against Lee to fight Lee because he says it's a challenge that he doesn't want to take. That's amazing. But it's not a strong narrative.
0: I think... I almost came out, came out of the gate too hot here. So <laughs> what I'm going to say is, in terms of the narrative, it surprised me at how much I liked it. Because coming into this movie, I was coming in with the expectation, ooh, Bruce Lee, martial arts movie, a lot of awesome fights, probably a really flimsy narrative. But the narrative is something that I think is handled really well. And like I said earlier, because it's weaving in these three different types of movies, all into one cohesive thing, which is impressive on its own. And you say it's very Bruce Lee-centric, which obviously it is. He's all over this movie, even when he's not on screen, because he's staging so many of these fight sequences. But I was surprised at how decentralized it was. So even to maybe back up a little bit and, and share to people listening, <laughs> the, this movie starts out with Bruce Lee at the um, Shaolin dojo he is training at, where he's visited by this British agent. The agent asks him to go and go to this tournament to track down and see if Han, who's the villain, is doing the villainous things they think he is. And before we get to the tournament, we also check in in long sequences with Roper and Williams, these other guys who we've mentioned. And we see Roper's situation. He's being (laughs) accosted at a golf course by gangsters who, how did they know how to find him when his ball went soaring off the fairway and he was in the rough? That's neither here nor there. And Roper is on the run because he leaves America to go to this tournament by beating up a couple of police officers who try to accost him for no reason except that he's black. And they are so fascinating, and we get to know them as well as we get to know Bruce Lee. And in that flashback sequence you're talking about, we see Bruce Lee flashing back to a conversation he has with his father. And then within that scene, they flash back. <laughs> to the story his father father is telling him about his sister. And we find out that Bruce Lee's sister is dead and why she is dead and how it relates to somebody who's going to be at this tournament. It's all so interesting to me. And we get the spy features with Bruce Lee and we get the Roper just being an American (laughs) tool part of the movie. And we get Williams, which he's one of the more fascinating figures in this movie as the only major black character. But it worked so well for me because we got so much of so many different genres all combined into a sat- one satisfying movie.
1: Yes, but it felt if someone wasn't punching or kicking, it felt kind of a drag because they were drastically trying to get to a point where the movie could show me more punching and kicking. So this
0: movie didn't have enough character building for you, or the like. What about it? What about the in between action scenes? Let you down. The dialogue a,
1: for one point is, I think, very weak. There's not much of it, and what is there feels forced. I would have honestly preferred uh, less time between action sequences. I, this is my idea. I love strong movies. I, I love strong narratives in movies that have action but if you can't give me that strong narrative cut the narrative crouching tiger hidden dragon which is is is, i think up there for one of the greater greater action films not specifically in this genre but near it and it's in the same atmosphere uh also i don't think has the strongest narrative and when, I, when I'm at that point where I am like, wow, stop talking and go back to punching and kicking. It It's one or the other. Make the narrative stronger or cut it so that it's a more seamless transition. I think something
0: that holds back movies like this is when they have super flimsy narratives where you barely know what's going on. You just want to get to the scenes where everybody's fighting and you're drinking and carrying on and having a good time. And it's good because it's good-bad. It's a bad movie that you like because of the action. And I don't think that Enter the Dragon's narrative lets down. It's, it's not the greatest story told in all of cinema. It's probably not the best quote-unquote story told in 1973 either. But what it does is it does enough for me, at least. And like I said, the, the blending of the types of characters and genres is so unique And that is what I loved about the narrative, in that we're following along with Bruce Lee's spy adventures as he's trying to uncover evidence that Han is this crime lord as he's suspected to be, while also getting to experience uh, China and this culture through the eyes of an American, white American like me, getting to experience this and see what Roper thinks, while also getting a taste of the black exploitation experience that Williams is representing and his ultimate fate honestly made me sad. I wasn't I wasn't crying on screen or I was not on screen at all. I wasn't crying. sitting <laughs> on my couch. But the
1: director's cut featuring Scotland's
0: director's cut featuring me crying in the background. But ultimately what ha- I, I was invested in what happened to him and I cared and it made the ending more powerful for me. And also there's a fun fact about this movie which I guess I'll just spoil this now. Obviously, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Okay, so Han kills Williams because he suspects that Williams is sneaking around after hours trying to uncover evidence that Han is a bad guy because obviously he is when in reality it was Bruce Lee sneaking around. Williams just went outside, blah, blah, blah. So Roper and Lee are the ones who survive to fight the bad guys at the end. And here's your fun fact. So originally it was gonna be Williams and Lee who survived, and Roper was gonna get killed. But John Saxon was a big enough name at that point that his agent basically said, that's not gonna happen. And they rewrote this script so that Williams would be the one who dies and Roper gets to survive to the end of the movie. <laughs> Which big flex from John Saxon. Kind of unfortunate because they if you will, I don't I don't wanna to read too much into this, but you know, white guy robbing a bigger part from a black guy. But Jim Kelly went on to have John a career Saxon's in movies after this. John part is
1: not the bigger part. They, they're, they're equal. It, it they, they are equal, though that is unfortunate. Just going
0: to say that I by investing in all three of these guys and not purely sticking with Lee, which is, who's Bruce Lee's character, you get so much more. And I just really dug the way this narrative played with different types of genres, how it felt different from scene to scene. And all of it worked for me. And again, this isn't an instant five-star classic for me. Not something I turn on a rewatch right as it ended. I really, really liked it. And the narrative worked for me. And so I'm disappointed that whatever it was about the dialogue didn't work for you. And there's some hokey dubbing in this movie for sure.
1: Oh, the sound <laughs> is not good. The sound is not good.
0: But it, I, it, all in all, I as as your co-host here, we, we argue a lot on the show and that's half the fun. It just makes me sad that you didn't enjoy the in-between parts as much as I did because they were still interesting to me. And this was a very watchable movie to me, even when they weren't fighting.
1: It, it just felt like a paper-thin script meant to to further other things along, which can be fine. Well, I mean, it's not my thing in general and I I think that the the impactful moment if it feels like I could have this movie on in the background and not need to pay attention to it. And I think a good pairing to this movie and where this is kind of like going into our final thoughts now. I think a good pairing of this movie is any given Sunday where the beauty of any given Sunday, is, is is the jaw dropping violence that is that they make present in those football games. The beauty of Enter the Dragon is the precision, the beautiful, beautiful precision of Bruce Lee's stunts of of how those action sequences carry the narrative of the movie more than everything in between that's what's amazing about this movie and yeah it, it, the the snake part iconic the very the very big guy who um goes up against roper who roper ends Bullock. up kidding. it like iconic but i found I, i'm not i wasn't that invested and i think that's where that's where my issues lay um any final thoughts from you Final thoughts for me. Man,
0: I was so satisfied, as you can tell. want to shout out another sequence here. The end of the movie features an iconic sequence in a hall of mirrors, one that has inspired countless filmmakers to try to do the same. I That was pretty good. I know that was the first good. movie that came to mind was John Wick Chapter 2, if you're a John Wick person. Also has a sequence in a hall of mirrors. And John Wick Chapter 3... I think also had mirrors. Maybe I'm thinking about multiple sequences from that franchise, but the final showdown between Lee and Han, the villain in this hall of mirrors is incredibly well-made in terms of, a, of being visually striking and also, good. and also maintaining a solid action sequence. Very, very satisfying. And Roper looks like Zac Efron.
1: I kind of got Chuck Norris vibes, but maybe that's be- just because Zach Efron looks like Chuck Norris.
0: Did you just come onto this podcast
1: and say that Zach Efron looks like Chuck Norris? He, if he were like a little scruffier, and if you had got him like post High School Musical years, yeah, I'm I'm reeling right now. What in the world? <laughs> okay, last thing I want to
0: talk about. Last thing I want to talk about because I mentioned that we would say it. the treatment of women in this movie is not great. The props, our props. Women it's are
1: props in this film.
0: The men who are participating in the tournaments. Obviously, they don't want them sneaking around and finding the criminal activity. And so the way that they help them to not sneak around is by offering them a group of women of, from that group, the contestants can choose as many as they want to uh, have sex with them that night. So not great in terms of its treatment of women. There's one white woman who functions as this, I guess, madam in a way, hostess for Han. And she and Roper have a scene together and ultimately she dies by the end of the movie like she doesn't even get to escape uh yeah not not the best in treatment of women in terms of things that aged poorly with enter the dragon that is one of them do you have any other thoughts on that before we wrap christian
1: women aren't really a part of this movie which is weird it's it's like why have them at all (laughs) so it, it it's very much uh this is something that has not aged well about enter the dragon
0: the sequence that you hated with Bruce Lee's sister, though, I thought was kind of awesome. She gets to kick a bunch of, of booty before she unfortunately dies. So not it's not
1: uh,
0: less than zero. You know, it's not horrendously horrendous, but it definitely could have been better. Uh, Enter the Dragon, our first movie of our 1973 blend of the month. Strong recommend from me. A mild recommendation from you, Christian. Is that what you would say? You can watch it. It is available to stream on Netflix, and you definitely should. I know I'm looking forward to watching more Bruce Lee movies in the future. Christian, you have curated our 1973 blend of the month. Go ahead and tell the folks at home where we are headed to next week on this cinematic adventure.
1: So next week, we are heading into The Exorcist, the horror movie that I think stands on a pedestal by itself. To which all other horror movies look up to because I, I, I don't think you can name a more iconic one. People can argue one's better, but I, I think that The Exorcist defied all boundaries. When I was growing up, my dad warned me against watching The Exorcist, saying that when he saw it, he crapped his pants. So, yes, uh, it's it, it's I, it'll be interesting visiting this. Uh, currently streaming on HBO Max.
0: Dope. I'm looking forward to watching it. Not a big horror guy, as I've said on this show before, so I'm looking forward to catching up with one of the most important and iconic horror movies of all time in The Exorcist. Thank you so much. If you have gotten to this point in the show, Christian and I sincerely appreciate your support as you listen and help us get this thing rolling. We love talking about movies and making the show for you, so thank you couple things you could do to support the podcast. Number one, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars help my self-esteem and a nice review will get you featured on the show if you would like it to be read. You can also drop us a line at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com and we would be happy to read your thoughts here live on air and again, consider some of your ideas for the show. Obviously, we'd love to make episodes that you would want to listen to. So feel free to send us some feedback at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cinema underscore Drip, where we are posting updates about the show and when new episodes drop. So it would be awesome to engage with some of you there as well. Last thing, as always, you can follow Christian and myself on Letterbox, where we rate and review the things we are watching. I would love to have somebody comment and say that they commented because of the show. It would make me very happy.
1: Christian, any final thoughts for the folks at home? None whatsoever. Just beware of the exorcist.
0: <laughs> Wear the exorcist indeed, and also enter the dragon if you can. As always, I am Scott Lentz, he's Christian, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.